fad diets, political monkey business, and chicken butts, all on today's episode of The Booterverse. Hey everybody, welcome to the Booterverse. Comedian Sean Reynolds is going to be with us, Judy Scheinbaum is going to answer his questions, and of course we've got some Booter thoughts for you, all on today's episode of the Booterverse. Today's episode of the Booterverse is brought to you by the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court, where wearing a robe to work is completely acceptable. And now for news in my orbit. Move over, Bruce Jenner. There's a new transitional man in town. After months of increasingly scandalous rumors, Wisconsin Governor and presidential hopeful Scott Walker has finally come clean about his plan to turn himself into Ronald Reagan. It's fairly well known that every year on Reagan's birthday, he eats the former president's favorite foods, macaroni and cheese casserole and red, white, and blue jelly beans. And since his college days, when he kept a framed portrait of Reagan on his dorm room desk, he is never without an image of his idol. He has even hinted that there may be a tattoo of Reagan on his derriere. But the whispering really began when Walker was spotted recently buying Just for Men and some VO5. Later that day, he was caught sporting a very Reagan-esque pompadour in the back halls of the State House. People have been noticing that his eyebrows look different, and a staffer came across a receipt among other business papers she was filing for a consultation with an L.A.-based plastic surgeon. He just locks himself inside his office and blasts the sound of music. He started calling everyone Nancy and is only answering to the Gipper. As of yet, Governor Walker hasn't announced a running mate for 2016. But as the current administration has showed us, chimpanzees can make fine vice presidents. Turning now to health, if you ever see a small child sitting down to a meal of steak tartare and a St. Pauli girl beer, don't call social services. They're probably just on the Warren Buffett youth diet. The brainchild of an Ohio single mom, the diet hopes to turn kids into fledgling billionaires by feeding them the same things Buffett ate in the early days of his career. Parents everywhere are certainly getting on board. The evidence it ought to work is pretty compelling, one dad said. I mean, Buffett drank that beer and he got rich. Why wouldn't I want the same thing for my kid? The woman who came up with the diet said she found two photos of him with food from 1977, the year he made his first billion. In both of those, he was eating steak tartare and drinking the famous Buxom Brew, so she argues chances were good that was what he ate all the time. Because Buffett was also wearing the same tuxedo in both photos, she has also decided to dress her little boy in a miniature tux every day. You know, she said, to increase our chances. Tux dressing isn't required for those following the diet, but who knows? It might not hurt. Critics of the parents' plan have pointed out that the photos both appear to have been taken on the same night and prove absolutely nothing about what Buffett ate on a regular basis. And why toddlers? Why not start the diet in midlife, when Buffett began to make his billions? Well, obviously, because young children are more impressionable. You want to start them out early to give them the best chance of success in life. Followers do admit that the diet can get a bit pricey, but they say they are already seeing benefits. It's gone so far that one woman even claims she pulled three pennies out of her five-year-old's mouth. He's already practically minting money, she said joyfully. 
As far as the recommended daily quantity of rare meat and beer, parents admit they're still experimenting. It is clear that a passed-out toddler is not something people want to see, so please exercise caution. Consequently, this diet is no Berkshire Hathaway, but parents say that this is one investment they just can't pass up. And now the news that gives the term job flight a whole new meaning. There has been a shortage of chick sexers in Britain, and in desperation, the Poultry Council has been offering astronomical salaries to egg people on to apply for the jobs. For the uninitiated, a chick sexer examines the backside of a newborn chick to determine whether or not it is a male or a female so they can be sorted as either layers or roosters. It takes three years to train people to, quote-unquote, develop the sensitivity and dexterity to reliably sex the bird. And that amount of dedication to a chicken derriere just isn't seen as attractive work, the Poultry Council says. But that was only until they started advertising sexing jobs starting at the equivalent of $500,000 a year. We knew we were going to have to do something drastic or else we were going to have a real chicken sexing crisis on our hands. Now they are having to turn people away. But there have been some fairly famous people who have decided they might like to give the job a try. Hugh Grant was quietly given a position on a Hampshire poultry farm, and we hear it may have something to do with his rehabilitation. Russell Brand is also giving the vaguely creepy career a try, mostly because, well, he's Russell Brand, and he's vaguely creepy. And David Cameron is said to be considering leaving his job as Prime Minister because he says he thinks his skills at staring at the bottoms of cute birds would be better served in that capacity. While some of these workers may not be spring chickens, here's hoping we can finally start putting the pool in Poulet. And that's been it for News in My Orbit. Today's episode of the Booterverse is brought to you by Pantyhose. Pantyhose. It's funny they're called panty because they certainly don't let you breathe. It's that time of the show when Judy Scheinbaum answers a guest's questions on The Last Lung with Judy. Judy, the show is yours. Oh, thank you, Emery. It's so good to be back. Sean Reynolds, you're here with us. You're a comedian. Hello, sir. Hello to you. How you doing? Lovely, as always. I think you can see. Now, Sean, do you have some questions for me? Some questions for Judy. Well, I am trying to stop doing something. I'm addicted to Coke and Mountain Dew. Oh, my. Sir, you need to stop right now. As someone who has quit things, hit it and quit it, I say stop. Right. So, well, so have you ever been addicted to something and then stop and then stop doing it? No. No. Okay. I've never been addicted to anything in my life. So, what tips could you give me? How can I stop drinking Coke and Mountain Dew and try to drink more water and juice and milk? And- no. No. What you need to do is take that Coke and Mountain Dew, go behind a corner, uh, perhaps outside, if you will, and you know, imbibe a Coke or two, just a little, you know, fix to get you through the day. So you're suggesting I not stop it? Listen, Sean. You're getting mixed messages. I'm not a counselor or a therapist, but I do have advice for you. And my advice is this. If people don't see it, it doesn't exist. Okay. Next. <laughs> okay, I think I think that was good advice. Of course it was good advice. Uh, and so you're from where again? I am from Long Island, but of course I live in, you know, in the city. In the city, okay. I'm thinking about visiting the city. Oh my goodness, you'll love it. Yeah, I want to. I want to go up there and do some comedy. Oh, I love. It's great. Do you think they'll like me though? Because I have, I have the. So I talk about having five kids, and you know, I'm not dirty. Am I going to be well received, or are they going to hate me? Oh, sweetheart, they're going to love you. They haven't seen something this clean since Giuliani swept the crime out of the city. <laughs> I love it. You're going to be a wonderful gem, a part of the cityscape. You're going to be great. 
Very good, very good. Okay, well, I'm glad we're doing this because I actually have a lot of questions now that I think about it. Sure. So I have two daughters, and one is a teenager now. Oh, dear God. Yeah. And so, and I think she's starting to like boys. Well, that's nice. Yeah. And so, uh, but I don't. Uh, well, I don't want her dating or anything. Well, absolutely not. You know, so, my daughter Eliza, mm-hmm. you know, she's now, you know, in her 30s. And I swear, the woman's not married. And I try to keep pushing people on her. She says, no, Mom, I don't want these people. I don't know what's wrong. Are there no good men out there anymore? I feel your pain. You don't want them dating. But listen, your daughter's, what, 13 now? 14? Yeah, yeah 13. Listen, when she's 30, you're going to be humming a different tune. Okay, all right, all right. You'll so take anybody. So we're doing the opposite thing. Okay, I'm trying to keep the boys away. You're trying to reel them in. Absolutely. Okay. With whatever hook I can, you know, uh, attach to them, if you know what I mean. <laughs> uh. So the other thing that's tough in, in is with having five kids is obviously keeping the wife happy. Oh, right, yeah. Because, you know, I, I work, I got the kids, got comedy, got to keep the wife happy. Trying to keep things romantic, trying to keep, you know, spontaneous. Of course. Surprising her, making her feel like a princess. What kind of what kind of tips could you give me to maybe kind of really keep her happy? Sean, that's a great question. I think people know I've had five husbands. Uh, number three was great. Four was all right. Two was interesting. One was a little bit poor. So, you know, it didn't work out. Five, well, you know, he kind of met an untimely demise. And I will say I had nothing to do with that. But I will say thank God for the insurance checks, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Now, keeping your wife happy is very difficult, but I always take tips from Elizabeth Taylor. I mean, the woman had eight husbands. She knew what she was doing. What you need to do... Listen, your wife hasn't thrown you out on the curb yet. Not yet, no. Be thankful. What I would do to spice up, you know, the romance, you know, put in a couple DVDs, you know, every now and again. It's nice. That's the advice. Okay. Listen, because you know, you don't don't overdo it, because then she'll expect the world. Listen, right. you pace yourself. Yes, of course, because listen, every woman wants a man to ride up on a white horse. They'll be lucky if they get a guy in a Kia Sophia. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, Sean, you know we've got time for one more question, baby. What is it going to be? One more question. Um, make it a good one. It's going to be a good one. All right, I'm spending too much time on my phone, looking at internet and porn Facebook. are you looking no, at porn no, on is, your phone Sean Sean that is not okay telephone companies know what you're listening to right 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 at so, work no less so right. you need to watch it I'll, I'll watch that but no hot so what do you suggest for that mm, well the, because we're addicted to technology today you, you know do this every time you your hand reaches for the phone mm-hmm Text your wife a beautiful, lovely note, and that will take care of both of your problems. You just fixed two, th- yeah, two birds with one stone there. That, that's how I do here on the last lung. <laughs> well, Sean, you have been a gem, and I love you all. That's been it for The Last Lung with Judy. We'll be right back, right after this. Today's episode of The Buddhaverse is brought to you by Mouthwash. Mouthwash. Because no, I don't want to know if you kiss your mother with that mouth. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Booterverse. I am sitting here with comedian Sean Reynolds. Sean, it's great to have you on the show. Oh, I'm excited to be here. So Sean, you are a clean comedian, sir. You do clean material. Yes. Why are you not dirty? Well, a lot of it has to do with when I first started. When I first, I actually wrote dirty material. Ooh. I, I, I wrote all, I just wrote what I thought was funny. Some was clean, some was dirty. So there, there is 
in a notebook somewhere, dirty Sean Reynolds material. Mm, is that hidden somewhere in the house? Yes. That is, mm, daddy's that, special drawer. Right, right, right. In the corner of the attic, yes. gathering dust. And uh, But no, so when I first started, I wrote all these jokes and all this material. And then uh, when I got closer, my, my kids were excited. Because my kids like comedy. My kids like Gaffigan and Brian Regan. And, and so when they knew I was doing comedy, they're like, oh, you got to make sure you videotape it. And we, we can't wait to see it. I was like, oh, that means I can only do jokes in this column not in that column and then that continued every time i went did a show they wanted me to videotape it they wanted to see it so that and it just kind of naturally progressed from there so when did you get started in comedy five years ago i uh, i got started i always wanted to be a writer my dream as a high school student was to write for saturday night live that was just my silly dream no it's not a silly dream it's yeah, a beautiful right. dream so i never thought of myself as a performer but i knew i could write and um, I wrote top 10 lists when I was in high school. I worked, I worked at Dunkin' Donuts, and I would write uh, top 10 lists every Saturday morning. Uh, and I'd put them on the door. And so everybody looked forward to it. You know, top 10 things you find at the bottom of the glaze bin. Or, you know, it was all pretty much inside jokes, but they loved it. So how many – wait, so I'm going to pause you a second. Yeah, yeah. How many jokes can you get from a donut shop? I mean, at some point, does the material run out? Right. It was – you know, we were having to stretch it a little thin, but it was more the characters that I worked with. that we, So, you know, you can make fun of the people you worked with. But. Excellent. Yeah, so I was going to be a writer, and then uh, my brother got married six years ago, and I was his best man. And uh, instead of toasting him, I roasted him. I did about twelve minutes, a tight, a tight twelve. That's good. No, that's good. And uh, everybody was like, "Oh my god, like you should do stand up." And so that was literally how I got started. Everybody like just telling me that over and over and over again. Your, so your brother's wedding. My brother's. Yeah, I stole my brother's wedding. Literally. Good for you. Yeah. No, I think it's. He's, he's my little brother. So. Oh come on! Yeah, like he nothing. He's worth nothing. Of right, course. Right, 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 right. Of course. Wow. Yeah, so that's how it started. And then I wrote the material and went to the improv in Louisville. And there it is. There, From there, the career was launched. I was horrible. Yeah. First time, I was horrible. And at the improv in Louisville, you had to bring 10 people to get in. And I live in Lexington. So I drug 10 of my family members out to see me and totally ate it on stage for five minutes. You know what, though? But I love that dedication. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was so bad, my wife... My wife is she's always like trying to pump me up, make me feel good, like oh you were you weren't as bad as you thought. But like at that time, she got in the car and even she was like, "What happened? Oh, what was that? That was awful." And I go, "I'm never doing that again." And she was like, "Yeah, maybe not." Wow, your wife was like, "Ooh, it was ugh, that bad." Do not wow, it was that bad. Wow, yeah, yeah. But you're back. Yeah, I went, I, the second time I went a second time. I don't know why. It's it, comedy is like drug. I mean, it's like you get addicted to it. Well, and you know, sometimes people like a little self-immolation from time to time. Exactly. Get up there, I mean, set yourself on fire. <laughs> yes, yeah. So I went back to comedy at Broadway the second time, and I did much better. Yeah. So then I was on my way. Now, do you find that your material is a broad swath of of sort of material, or do you find that you have honed in on some specific subjects? Like Gaffigan obviously does food a lot. Yeah. You know, I try. I uh, I make a point to try not to do that. Uh, because as a, I am a Gaffigan fan, but I did find like his last special, I got a little bored. Like I can only listen to so many food jokes. I know a lot of people think I'm like, oh, you're the I'm the dad comic because I do talk about my kids and all that. so that's probably my specialty. I can talk about having five kids, whereas m most people can't. But I try to do bits. I try to do social observation. Uh, I do some satire. I, t I do a bit about baby Jesus's baby shower. Mm. Um, so I do some things like that. A little gold frankincense is myrrh in that. Exactly right, right, right. Like you know, what were these kings you know thinking? Mm. Were they all out of burlap onesies, frankincense and myrrh? It's incense. 
That's right. Who do you think she's having? The son of Cheech and Chong? That's I mean, right. Ooh, that's good. Yeah. So a little bit of that. Mm. So that's not that's not like me talking about myself or my family. So there's some of that. So you actually do comedy for people of faith? Yeah, it's my it's actually my favorite shows to do. Really? Yeah, yeah. Talk my, to me about that. My yeah. best shows have been church shows. <clears throat> it's because um, it's for a couple reasons. One, people show up to comedy clubs. They have this kind of this attitude almost, and I call it like this arms crossed. Let's see what you got, pal. Right? Because they make pay, me laugh. Make me laugh. Exactly. Uh, it, and I think uh, I think especially males do it more than females because males want to be be funny in a group of people you because we be want funniest. to have the you know punani that's why we want to be exactly funny. we want to be the funniest and so i think sometimes uh, in the comedy clubs there's that attitude of like okay let's see how let's see how funny you really are if i'm paying to see you uh and so it can be a little combative sometimes churches it's the opposite people come to churches for comedy night and it's usually like a fundraiser or uh outreach or something like that they come showing up wanting to have a good time they want you to do well that's that's probably the biggest difference i think people in a church setting want the comedian to do well and then my material just relates. I have a lot of kids. I, I joke about religion. Uh, I talk about teen Jesus. Um, I talk about God resting on the second day as well, the seventh day. But it's not offensive, but it's just, you know, satirical. And... Well, and I think that's a good sort of line to sort of toe because when most comedians approach religion, it's from a very sort of offensive sort of place. Yeah. You know, religion has either done something wrong to me or bad or, you know, I disagree with it and so I'm going to try to tear it down. Right, a lot of priest jokes. and Exactly. Like that, yeah. I mean, because a priest joke is easy, an easy joke to a make. Very easy joke, yeah. And it's funny, though, when I do start the religious stuff, I can uh, I can feel it in the whole room, everybody tightening up. You know what I mean? They, like, just like, oh, where's he going with this? What, what is he doing? And so... Uh, so all you need to do now is add more politics to your jokes, <laughs> yeah. and then you're just going to make everybody uncomfortable. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But no, I, they, they eventually come around. But I, I learned early on I can't do the religious stuff early in the set. I got to make them like me first. I gotta trust make, you. Exactly. Let, let them trust you. I even do this little trick where I, uh, I throw into my earlier bits – yeah, so we're on our way to church. Oh. Isn't that? That's, that's smooth, I right? see what you did there. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah, and I found that if I do that, I'm kind of planting a seed because later I'm going to start talking about Jesus and God, so i got to plant the seed that it's okay. I'm one of you. I'm one, I'm, I'm one of you. Right. right. No, that's great because when you're approaching that specific demographic, I think people want to be able to laugh about matters of politics and faith and, and very serious things, but – you know, you have to do it sort of with kid gloves. And right. there are comedians who obviously, like Sarah Silverman, for example, right. she wants to take the most horrible subjects. Mm -hmm. A Louis C.K. does this from time to time as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. Takes the most horrible subjects. And if you can laugh about that, then they feel, I think, that they've done their job. Right. Yeah. But you're taking a little bit more of a, an easier approach to it, sort of easing people in to the jokes and that sort of opens them up to be ready for the comedy right I'm a lot of comics like tension and a lot of comics like pushing the envelope and I think some comics don't care if they offend 25% of the room and I've just taken a completely opposite approach I've just taken the approach of I want everyone to enjoy the show and I, I don't want to offend anyone so where do we get to the other side of the pendulum though where it becomes pandering does that make sense you gotta be careful with that yeah because I definitely don't want to be a panderer either right is that, is that the word panderer is I, that correct? I'm gonna go ahead and say yes. Okay. Yeah. I don't want to be. I don't want to be a panderer, and I don't know someone who panders. Someone who panders. Maybe a Pandora. A pan. <laughs> oh, that's something else. That's something else. That's something completely different. Yeah. I don't know. You know. Nobody's ever like called me on the carpet for that before. I don't think I pander. 
but maybe I do a little bit. So what's the next step for you? Where do you hope to take your career in the, in the future, comedy-wise? Hmm. I think it's all downhill from here. Well. I think I've peaked. Well, it's possible. <laughs> You've been to Indiana. You may I, have peaked. I've been to Indiana, right, yeah. No, I, uh, I'm i not sure. I uh, Because I have the responsibility of the kids, uh, I have to take it very slow. Um I kind of like, I am kind of going that church corporate route because just because of the fact that they're one nighters in comedy, you can work in the comedy clubs or you can do one nighters In comedy clubs. You're booked for four days, Thursday through Sunday. So that's not possible for me to be gone. If I got booked tomorrow in a comedy club in New York for four nights, I probably have to turn it down. Well, we wouldn't want you to do that, but I'd probably have to. Mm. Remember the kids and the food and eating. Right. It's all Again, that. how greedy they are. Greedy, greedy. So, uh, so yeah, so for me, the one-nighters, corporate, church, because I'm clean. And those, the number one, um, sadly, the number one criteria for doing shows like that is being clean. Number two is being funny. So they would rather have a clean comedian rather than a funny comedian. Some, yeah, somebody's going to possibly say one thing to offend somebody. That's their, that's their number one fear. They don't want to offend anyone. Yeah, before I perform at any show like that, they have to see my whole set. Why have we become such an offense-averse society? I don't know. You know what I think it is? I think it's just a few people. But I think it's one of those where the squeaky wheel gets the grease. I think the people that are really offended are just the loudest I totally agree. It's yeah. always that squeaky wheel that gets that grease. And I tell you what, I don't like wheels at all. <laughs> I don't support them. I think people know I'm sort of anti-wheel. Anti-wheel. So the squeaky wheel is obviously your least form of a wheel. Indeed. Indeed. Right. Uh, sometimes I like a wheel with sides, but again, that's a square, not a wheel. Right. And I'm <laughs> fine with squares. Right. <laughs> squares. Yeah. Because, I mean, who wants to be a circle? It's so round and bulbous. Right. You want a square, a nice, even-keeled square. Square. Perhaps a parabola. <laughs> Do you not like parabolas? I am, uh, I'm, anti I'm actually anti-parabola, so this kind of got uncomfortable all of a sudden. Wow. Ooh, Sean, are we going to have to... Can we meet in the middle, like, on rhombus, maybe, or... I, I think we can find common ground on the rhombus. Okay. All right. But yeah, I think that's part of it. I think people, uh, I think the people that get offended are the ones that are ruining it for everybody else. But I don't understand why we're letting them ruin it for everybody else. I don't know either, and we have to stop them. Right. We have to, by greasing the squeaky wheel, why don't we just throw the wheel away? Right. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good call. Right. Right. Could do that. I mean, because cars can run on three wheels. I've seen them do it. I mean, they're called tricycles, tricycles. right? <laughs> but you know, I'm there. You're getting from point A to point B. Right. I'm, I am for a tricycle pro tricycle society. When I was a kid, I had the, the big wheel. Remember the big wheel? Oh, yeah, man. And how awesome were those? Amazingly awesome. How many squeaky wheels were on those? Zero. So Absolutely. See, you know. It's the big wheel theory. Now, it's funny to me that, you know, the blue-collar guys, you know, were so unique in what they they did. You know, you've got mm -hmm. Larry the Cable Guy and Ron White. Complete opposites, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you think about it. And then you have Bill Ingvall. Yeah. And... Really, you're a snoozer at Bill. I'm a snoozer on Bill Ingvall. Yeah. Talk to me about that. Is it the goatee? I don't know. I think actually, I think in that, and I don't want you to lose your question here, but I, I think in that dynamic, he just he he didn't have anything special about him. Mm. Isn't it really rude? I just called Bill Ingvall unspecial. You did. Kind I hope of, he never hears this. You know what he's gonna do? Here's your sign. <laughs> yeah. That's what's gonna happen yeah, to you. And he's would... gonna literally send you a sign in yeah. the mail saying yeah. you sucks. Yeah. But what I was gonna ask is, you have. 
some very disparate comedians, but they all sort of are under this umbrella of blue-collar comedy. Mm -hmm. Do you find that your jokes transcend blue-collar, white-collar sort of things, or do you find that it's more of a working-class sort of motif, if you will? So I think... I don't know if this is a, a good answer or not. For me, I think it goes from bit to bit. I think there's some of my material that everybody in the room can relate to, and then there's some that I do. I think I do lose people every now and then, and I'm very aware of that when I'm writing out my sets. I'm aware of that when I'm writing my bits. I've shortened things. I've tossed things. So, but like you know, I do a bit about walking on some walking in on somebody in a public bathroom. It's a bit. It's a real. It's a real story. Everybody in the room loves it. Because they can all relate can to all... walking in on somebody at a public right. restaurant. You've, been, you've either been... Walked in upon. Oh, yeah, right. Exactly. Or one you've walked the... in on... One or the other. Mm. And so I do a bit about that and about how the guy got mad. And he goes, someone's in here. And Right, because I couldn't tell um, because you're in here and you didn't lock the door, sir. Exactly, right. So that was... And I kind of talked about how, isn't it funny, the bathroom is the only room in the house where we don't refer to ourselves in the first person. Any other room, right? I'm in the kitchen, I'm in the basement, I'm in bed reading a book. But if it's the bathroom, someone is in here. Someone is in here. I'm not saying it's me. Mm. I'm not saying it's not me. I'm saying it's someone. Now, at your house, because you are ostensibly the oldest male, people might guess that, door, that it's you. That door's getting locked. <laughs> you. you do not want any of the kids walking in. No, no, nobody's walking into that. Well, sir, you talked about losing some of your audiences on some of your jokes, but you have not lost us here at the Booterverse. At this part of the show, we open the mic to you to say whatever you want. It's an open mic, a carte blanche, if you oh. will, to just share your wit, wisdom, delightfulness with the world. Well, I think we'll, I think I'll say what we talked about earlier, and that's that um, talking about kind of clean comedy because that's kind of a thing, right? Mm-hmm. That uh, I think I think more comics should try to be clean because it does allow everybody to enjoy themselves and have a good time. And I don't think it's pandering. I've really been thinking about that the whole time you asked me that. If I'm pandering, because I hope I'm not. Well, and I wasn't <clears throat> suggesting that you were. No, but I like that you asked me that. I don't think that you were. But you asked me if I thought I was pandering, and I had never really thought about that. Well, see, I'm giving you food for thought, right. my friend. But I think there can be. I think there needs to be give and take on both sides. I think that I think more comics should try to perform in a way that can make it more accessible for everybody. But at the same time, another thing we talked about is I think more audiences need to like loosen up and lighten up and realize it's a joke and it's not to be so politically correct all the time. Yes, you know? stop being offended. We probably need to meet in the middle. Yes, let's meet in the offensive middle. Exactly. Just slightly offensive slightly middle. Slightly offensive middle, right. Not, not overly offensive, just no. a slightly offensive middle. Right, because I got some slightly offensive things that I want to say. Absolutely. In my little notebook. In that daddy's naughty drawer. Yes, exactly. Well, Sean, it has been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm a listener now, too. Not only am I... I guess, but I'm also a listener. Now. Wow, we've converted one more person. We are up to 13 now, my friends. Let's rock. <laughs> Baker's dozen. A Baker's, a Booter's dozen. A Booter's dozen. <laughs> and we'll be right back right after this. Buddha. Today's episode of the Booterverse is brought to you by rabbits. Rabbits. It's hard to say whether they cause more trouble in real life or in animated form. Buddha. And now for Booter Thoughts. Oh, sure, you want that reclaimed wood for your countertops? Well, let's just think about that for a second. Do you want some splinters with your chicken or macaroni and cheese? 
This is a problem, my friends. Not all wood can be reclaimed. What was wrong with putting some great varnish and lacquer on a new piece of wood freshly cut from the forest of Gunga Din, and we can have a beautiful table? No. Out with the oak, in with something that was made in 1892 and that tree had probably been growing for centuries. So why are we in any way supporting the falling of trees that were centuries old? I don't know. You tell me. I'm not a hipster that needs to go to a restaurant and drink from mason jars and can only sit on benches made of reclaimed wood. I don't need a barn to be chopped down, fire-branded, or in any way destroyed just so that my home can be built from the timbers of a ship that was lost at sea but five decades ago. It's time we start rethinking wood. And if you're like me, I want my wood as fresh as possible. And that's been it. For Booter Thoughts. Buddha. Here at the Booterverse, we'd like to send a special thanks to comedian Sean Reynolds for being on the show. We'd also like to thank you, the listeners, for tuning in. Of course, we'd like to thank Courtney and Sonny, who help on the production side, and to Quadrants, who composed our theme song. If you haven't had enough of me here, I'm also everywhere on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under the handle TheBooter. And of course, we're also on Pinterest, because, you know... Men should be on Pinterest? Buddha. I know interstellar travel is a bit difficult, but the Buddhaverse is only a click away.